with our team this morning and our volunteers from Galatians chapter 4 where it says that essentially because of what Jesus has done, what he has secured for us, what he's redeemed us from and for, there's then this, this phrase that says, and he sent, that the Father sent into your heart the Spirit crying, Abba, Father. And I just sense in this moment, that maybe it's just indigestion from Tijuana Flats last night. It's possible. It's very possible. But that, you know, there's at least a few of us that walked in today bearing a burden. That's just part of the human experience is that, you know, whether it be loss or whether it be victory or whether it be a family member or conflict or, you know, maybe you're just not satisfied where you're at. And I just want to take a moment while the music plays for, for us to just talk to the Lord, for us to pray and for us to receive again in that fresh way, the spirit of God crying, Abba, Father. And so as I pray, I just want to invite you to wherever you are at in the room or if you're watching online, to just take that moment to, to breathe out the cares of the world, but not just to breathe them out, but to breathe them out to the Lord, right? The scripture says that we should cast our cares on him because he cares for us, which is wild to think about. When you stand in these places around the world at the beach on a mountain and you feel small, or you watch a rocket take off into space and then take satellite photos from space that are light years away and you just feel small and you're reminded that that God who created all of that knows the hairs on your head, loves you. It's an amazing thing. And so I want to pray for you, pray for us, that in this moment as we open the word that the Lord would speak to us, but he already is. He already is, and uh, I want him to speak to you in this moment, in this few minutes that we have together today. So let me pray, and uh, let me just encourage you in the quietness of your heart to meet with him as well, to pray with, to pray with him, to talk to him. God, thanks for the chance to be together, to quiet our hearts before you. Your word says that we can come into your throne room of grace for mercy and help in our time of need. James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And honestly, the Holy Spirit, without that, we would be a mess. And so in the face of our circumstances as David wrote that as we sit at the table that you've prepared in the presence of our enemies. We just pray against those enemies right now that Jesus, because you are with us, you are in us, because your spirit is greater than he who is in the world, that today we would find freedom at the feet of Jesus, just like Mary did as she washed your feet with her tears. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in this room that as they walked in here today and they sat down at your feet, that you would give them the courage to release those burdens to you. That we might all together bear each other's burdens and fulfill your law. We love you. I pray as we open your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that we might taste and see that Jesus is good. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray and everybody says, amen. amen. You can be seated. If you would, grab your Bible and go to James chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered how you're doing? And I don't just mean how you're doing like 
Do you feel good? Stuff like that. What, what I'm talking about is have you ever wondered in life, how am I doing? Let me, let me clarify even a little more. Do you ever sit back and take an inventory of your life? Because all of us at some point or another in this life, most likely when we were children, had a dream. We had a dream. When I grow up, I want to be a, what did you want to be? A baseball, my man, baseball player. Come on, what else? Skateboarder, veterinarian, a Disney artist. What? Give me more. An architect. President. There, there it is. There it is, right? We, we all had that thing, right? We all had that thing. And whether it was a fireman or a police officer or whatever it is, there, there's, there's this thing that happens to every single one of us in that we start to grow up, right? And something happens in those years that we start to grow up, and we call it middle school, and you start to get made fun of, and people start to notice your big nose and your weird ears and the, you know, and, and all the things that they have too, but for whatever reason they can't remember that. And, you know, middle school is just a terrible time, and then you go to high school, and then you are like, wow, there's other extremely attractive people in the world. And then you meet somebody and we go through these cycles of life and then one day you wake up in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s and you look around and you take inventory of your life and what is the average experience of every human being is that we look around and say, wow, this is not what I had imagined it would be. I had these dreams too, right? Like where you look at where you want to end up and then you give yourself a score and you ask yourself, is my dreams coming to fruition? And I want to ask you, if you were to look back, did your dreams come to fruition? I don't want you to answer that out loud. But the vast majority of people, if you were to ask yourself, how am I doing? I wonder what your answer would be. Would you be doing great? Would you be flourishing in the dreams that you believe God placed in your heart? Would you just be doing okay? The malaise of the middle. Or would you say that, you know what, like I woke up and life isn't what I thought it would be. Life didn't get to that point that I always thought it would. I would confess to you that I would find myself in the average middle where things are not exactly what I thought they would be, right? And, and if I, I just like... Give, say, say one thing about that and then we'll quickly move on is that everybody in the world has a lot more opinions than I thought they would. Are, are you aware of this? <laughs> Have you ever done something that you were like, man, this is, this is pretty good. I like this. And then you go share it with someone and they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if Baylor, my six-year-old little princess of a daughter, drew me a picture, came up, and showed it to me, I was like, Daddy, I drew you a picture. And I was like, all right. <laughs> How many of you know that I don't do that? I'm like, oh, my God. Look up. I'm going to frame this and hang it on my wall. And it's like scribble, <laughs> right? You're like, this is amazing. Everybody, look at what my daughter drew, right? Like this Bible right here that my kids gave to me. And I want to show you this if I can find it. Of course, I won't be able to now. That would be too easy, right? But anyways, she wrote her name in the front of this Bible when she gave it to me for Christmas two years ago. She was four at the time. And it's like, man, like none of you care about that. But when I open this Bible and I'm reminded of that, I'm like, man, I mean, I get the feels and all the things. 
right? Life is, life is weird like that. Where we have these mountains, right? We sang, I've, I've seen you from the mountain. But what's, what's the next confession there? But I've also seen you from what? The valley below. And by the time you go through enough valleys and mountains and valleys and mountains, you can, you can turn around and look at your life when you're tired from raising kids or you're tired from overworking or you're tired from loss or you're tired from whatever it is. And when I look around and I, I know your story, I know that every one of you has a different thing. You're tired from and fill in the blank. It's life. It's life. And so while some of that is controllable, I can't help but wonder, what does that have to do with your spiritual life? Is is it possible that the Lord doesn't always give us our dreams because he's trying to help us step out of our dream and into his Many of us, when we came to Christ, had that same barometer in our spirit. When we first met Jesus, when, when we first had the Spirit of God come into our life crying, Abba, Father, it was amazing. And we were on fire. And then what happens? We start to do life we start to do church and we start to experience other christians we start to do all the things and we wake up years later and all of a sudden am i am i doing well spiritually or am i am i dry am i dead spiritually if I was to go around the room and, and take a poll, I think every single one of us would say, yeah, like I, I've at least had those moments. And if we were real honest, you might even say, I'm in that now. I'm in that now. I, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm doing. My barometer for the spiritual presence of God is running low. Listen, this is a central concern for the body of Christ around the country and in some places around the globe because it's central because Christianity, at least in this country, is declining. Now listen, I have a lot of thoughts about that and I don't think it's actually as dire as it's going to sound when I read these research statistics to you because I think there's, there's more there. But it, there does signal a problem, right? Pew Research came out just recently and said that in 2020, about 64% of Americans, including children, so all the humans in the United States, 64% said they were a Christian, okay? 64%. That sounds pretty good, right? Wow, like more than half of the country claims to believe in Jesus. But for comparison's sake, in the 1970s, that number was about 94%, somewhere in there. So in a few decades, we've gone from 90% to 60%. And you can do the math if that continues at that rate. We are not far. We're in our lifetime where Christianity is not just average, but it is all but forgotten, except for what the Scripture would call a remnant. And so, if you're wondering, Christians are not doing great. If we were to score ourselves on the litmus test that Jesus passed out to us, right? Because what does He say? He says to every one of His disciples, He would look at us through the eyes of the disciple and through the words of Scripture, and He would give us what we have come to call a great commission that says, go into all the world and do what? Yeah, preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always. So let's just, let's, let's clarify the call, right? Jesus says, I will be with you always when you are about the things that I'm calling you to be about. To be discipled and make disciples and baptize people and teach them everything I've committed them. And Jesus says, I will be with you. If we were to return to our question, how am I doing? How am I doing spiritually? And I were to ask you if you are experiencing the presence of God in your life and you were to say no, I think the first question I would ask you is, are you doing the things that God called you to do? Are we doing the things God called us to do? And that's not build a bigger thing. That's building a bigger people called the family of God. Right? It's not about getting behinds in our seats. It's about taking back kingdom ground. Right? It's about pulling back the darkness of hell. It's about letting people know that there is this great thing. I want you to look at how... 2 Corinthians 5 talks about it. It's going to be on the screen here in a second. But I want you to think about why is Christianity not appealing to our secular moment? Because I asked you if you've taken inventory of your life, if your dream was to be a fireman and you are now handing out stickers at Walmart you were going to take inventory. How did I get here instead of here? Right? And you'd be able to point to the things that are happening that took you this way instead of this way. Right? As Christians, if we were to look and say, well, God's dream was that we would go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them the things of the Lord, and then they would go into all the world and preach the gospel. If that was the dream and we're on the steady decline, what went wrong? I think we could take inventory of that. We don't have time for that today. But I think all of us could say, well, I don't think it's a God problem. I think he's still pretty awesome. Yes, we agree. If we don't, we got we to talk about something else today. But I think since you sauntered into church today, you already believe that much. So if that's true, and we know it is, he's still awesome. Why don't you lift up your voice and say, he's awesome. What's the problem then? The problem, I don't think, is a God issue. I want to suggest that it's a representation issue. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 says. This is Paul speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the message God wanted to get to his people through Paul's pen and Paul's personality. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we what? Persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Drop to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, listen, this is, this is one of the craziest statements in all the Bible. If you know yourself, like if you've ever like taken inventory of your life, like I asked you to at the beginning, you're like, yep, not awesome. I've had awesome moments, but on my own, not awesome. Listen to this statement. God making his appeal through us. Wow. If I was God's boss, I would say that's irresponsible. You need a new plan. Right? You're perfect. You represent yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what he did though, right? Why? God making his appeal through us. But look at We implore you on behalf of, behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, this is why. For our sake... He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel says that while you were dead in your sins, God made you alive 
in Christ. So just to be clear, for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel is not for you to go into all the world and make an awesome difference. No, no, no. For you to go into all the world and preach the gospel is for you to go into all the world and tell them about who is the awesome difference. Am I making sense to somebody? Because oftentimes we're like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You don't have to do any of that. You say, I know a guy who is awesome. His name is Jesus. And he has stood the test of time. And he is redeeming a people unto himself who are looking around at this secular moment going, this cannot be all that there is to life. And we would say, there isn't. This is not all that there is to life. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because heaven's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I actually think it's here. It's just God's going to renew all things and make a new heaven and new earth, right? But the point remains is that we're on a mission to tell as many people that this isn't all that there is. Praise God. But right here then, we have this collision of desires, don't we? Think about this. We have my desire for my life to matter. And we have God's desire to make his appeal to the world through us. Right? We have have these two different things. We have our dream of what our life, we want it to be. We have God's dream of what our life could be in him making his appeal to the world through us. So important for us to see that. Because what's happening in the text in 2 Corinthians is that God is beginning to synthesize those things in Jesus. He's beginning to take your desires and his desires and beginning to remove your desires and bring his desires into one so that making a difference in this world and fulfilling that part of your life, filling up your heart, begins to look like what he said it ought to look like. Right? Because Jesus made this promise in the Gospel of John that he was going to give you life and life to the full. So if you are not experiencing life to the full, it may be that you're still chasing your dream instead of his dream. And when we are given the righteousness of Christ, we begin to see how those things synthesize because here's what's cool about that. He's not going to take the gifts that he gave you to be a fireman or the gifts that he gave you to be a business person or the gifts that he gave you to be a school teacher or a college student or a middle schooler, or whatever it is that you find yourself doing, he's not going to take those things away from you, but he's going to bring them back into alignment with what he's doing in the world so that when you show up at the office, you are not just there to make a dollar, you're there to make a difference. Doesn't that sound more fun tomorrow? I'm on mission with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because I believe through accounting, praise God, even in accounting, That when you walk into your middle school classroom tomorrow, come on, Louisa, I'm talking to you. You can. She's taking notes. Those are cool notes, too, by the way. That even in that middle school classroom, I'm on mission with Jesus. I'm not alone. Right? That when I step into whatever it is that I'm doing, if I'm doing it, filled with the Spirit of God, on mission with God to go into all the world and preach the gospel, all of a sudden what I do in the ordinary has great power to be extraordinary. I want you to write that down. It's going to be on the screen here before we read our text that through ordinary acts you can have an extraordinary life. Through ordinary acts you can have an extraordinary life. You don't have to score great on the dream for your life to still make an incredible difference for Jesus. In fact, I believe that he's orchestrating all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. It's through that ordinary place, that malaise in the middle, that average spot.
spot that God wants to meet you there and take your ordinary life and make it extraordinary. That's the beauty of the gospel is that if you're in pain right now, there's purpose in that pain. That if you're uncomfortable right now, God's going to meet you there and he's going to use that uncomfort to bless somebody else. Maybe you're totally winning right now. You're killing it. God wants to take you and help you use that for the kingdom of God. Look look how James, I love this because where we're at in the book of James, you come to James chapter 2 and we're going to read the first 13 verses. You might be tempted to think like, like a lot of people throughout church history that, well, you know, I'm supposed to do stuff. Like I get it. But it's so much bigger than that, right? Because with that backdrop that I just gave us, I want to read this text and draw out of it. What is God trying to do in this ordinary thing called life? Look at what James says in verse 1. He says, my brothers, and you'll have a footnote there that says, and sisters. Can I get an amen in church today? (laughs) My brothers and sisters. Listen to this. I circle this in my Bible. Show no partiality. That's, That's the command that comes in this text. That's the goal. That's the dream. That Christians would be able to be people who love everybody and don't show partiality. That's a good word, right? I'm preaching better than you're responding. (laughs) You're sleeping on me. I'm just kidding. Pray for me. I'm still prideful. Listen to this. Show no partiality. Like, we agree with that. Right? Like, Christians should be the most loving people on the face of the earth. But are we? You said it, not me. As, as, lift up your voice and say as, right? Because we look at show no partiality and we feel guilty. Man, I need to be better. That's not what this is talking about. Listen here. As you hold the what? Faith in who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's go. You see, We started this series saying that people for a long time have been like, I think James and Paul are at odds. James is all about work. Paul's all about grace. No, no, no. James is all about grace. And he says, man, if that kind of grace goes in your life, it's going to come out. Because what you fill up your cup with is what when somebody bumps into you, they're going to get spilled with. Right? We show no partiality. We love all people. How do I do that? Because I'm holding the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Not that I'm trying harder or doing more, but no, I'm so filled with Jesus that I can't help but love people the way Jesus loved people. That's what we're after. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, assembly, do we have that picture of the assembly? Can you throw that up or do we have it? It's all right. There it is. That, by the way, that was pre-70 AD church assembly. There would have been a tabernacle have ended, uh, uh, risen right there. And I just want you to see that. Like, that looks comparable to what we're doing right now, right? Like, like a, a group of people gathered in the name of Jesus doing what we're doing. We're not reinventing the wheel here. They were praising God. They were listening to the word. And then they were going out to make a difference in their world. Like, it's not complicated, right? So that's the picture I want you to have in your mind. They're sitting in that place. And This is happening. A man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in their faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's our beginning question. You are doing well. You want to know if you're doing well spiritually? How are you doing at showing no partiality? 
How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? Because look at verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And I love this verse. Look at verse 12. So, speak and act as those who are. Don't you love that language? As those who are, not are becoming, not are going to be, but because of Jesus giving you his implanted righteousness on his work, not yours, you already are. So speak and act as one who is to be judged under which law? The law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Everybody wants justice, right? Not just at a macro level we want that, but even at a micro level, right? Everybody wants justice. When you get cut off in traffic, hey! Hey! And then we... Right? Hey! We want justice in that moment. It's selfish justice, but we want it. When my daughter gets pushed by her brother, Daddy! She doesn't she, she call anybody else. Dad! Dad, Maddox pushed me. Give me justice. When something is stolen from you, when people of color are oppressed, when men or women are abused, you catch my drift. We know what that means. We want justice. Where we fall short is in our ability or our agreement on how we ought to carry out that justice in our day-to-day life. We can't help it. In fact, for those of us who bear the name of Jesus, we ought to want justice. We ought to want equity. We ought to want no partiality. For those of us who bear the name of Jesus, it's really not complicated at all. Don't mishear me now. It's very hard, but it is not complicated, right? Because listen, listen to what it's saying. The royal law of Scripture is that we would love our neighbor as ourself, and we would all agree. If we can do that radically ordinary act, we are doing well in the Father's eyes. Did you catch that? He says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Do you want to know if you're doing well? Do you want to know what flourishing looks like? Do you know what the abundant life, the life to the fool that Jesus is offering you looks like? It does not look like ease and comfort. It looks like, are you loving people well? We don't like that, but it's true. And what makes it worse, listen to this, what makes it worse is that if we, if we aren't, if we can't, then we're sinning. As a matter of fact, if you cannot keep the whole law, if you just fail one time, then you're guilty of the whole thing. And spoiler alert, we're all guilty of the whole thing. And so there's this bad news component to this that is present here in the text. James points out that a lot of the time we are not doing well. And here's what's so hard about this too. In that context, he was talking to people being abused and how they relate to the people abusing them. They were being oppressed economically, sometimes physically. And James is saying, man, if, if somebody who's well off in your culture walks into your assembly and somebody who's not well off walks into your assembly, and because you're hoping to gain a hand economically, even though they're oppressing you, and you're not paying attention to the other one, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And that was in an extremely difficult circumstance that we don't find ourselves in right now. And so it just highlights even more how much more should those of us who aren't dealing with that difficult hardship 
show no favoritism or partiality, even in our own life. But James paints a new picture for us, right? In verse 12. So speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Show no partiality and love your neighbor. Can I say it to you this way? I want you to write this down. You can't represent Jesus if you've never been set free by Jesus. Does that make sense? If God is making his appeal through you to the world... What is the implication there? That you have been swept off your feet by the love that God has for a sinner like you. And what I think is happening, it's just me speaking, is that myself included, but that, that we grow commonplace, we get used to the goodness of our God. And we begin to take advantage of it. You know, one of the central tasks of my parenting, my kids, is to help them recognize that they're spoiled, but we don't want you to act spoiled. Can I get some amen in church today? It's not going well. I'm just kidding. But James told us earlier in the book, he said that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Every, every good gift. The royal law of God says love your neighbor as yourself. The law of liberty, the gospel says you are set free to pursue that law. You see, because what happens when the father looks at you and says you're mine and nobody can ever snatch you out of my hand is now the law doesn't become I have to do this to get to God. It becomes God is with me so I can do this. Totally different mindset. The law is written on our hearts setting us free from the bondage that the law creates. And James makes an important point about the unity of God's word, which is both the means of our salvation and the way it directs our Christian conduct. Right? Because we're back to that synthesizing of my dream and his dream. And now he's bringing those things together into alignment so that we would love our neighbor as ourselves wherever we find ourselves. So critically important. Grace goes in and then comes out by the power of his word. The bad news might be that you haven't met your dreams this morning. Or that in fact, because of your sin, you're not going to meet your dreams this morning. Or you've made a lot of choices you regret or not, or not, not treated people the way we ought to. That's all true. And James tells us if, if we're sinning, then... We've broken that law. And yet, if you need a status report, verse 8 says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you should love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. And if you're not, then it's time to shift gears. It's time to shift gears. right? It's time to shift gears back to speaking and acting like one who's been set free. I asked you a question. How are Christians doing in loving their neighbor as themselves? And it was a pretty unanimous not well. I want to just dig a little bit farther into your heart and without answering me out loud, you can keep this to yourself. I want to ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing at loving your neighbor as yourself? I feel so convicted right now to even say that to you. We don't treat people like Jesus treats us. We do in moments. But we don't. Because while being oppressed... Jesus silently went to the cross for those very people that were oppressing him. How can we possibly show the love of Jesus to somebody that we're judging? How can we possibly show the love of Jesus to somebody that's bothering us? 
if we let them bother us? How can we possibly love people the way Jesus loved them if our main goal is to convert everybody to my political party? How can we love the people in this world if we haven't been set free by Jesus? If you love any of those things that I just listed off more than you love the people around you, we have a problem. It says mercy wins. It says mercy triumphs over judgment. It says those who show mercy will be shown mercy. You cannot represent Jesus if you have not been set free by Jesus. And so the good news after that bad news is that Jesus did come and he did die for you and he did set you free from your sin and he did set me free from my sin. He didn't judge us. He died for us. Right? That's John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's your only hope today. The bottom line from Pastor James is verse 12. If that is true, speak and act as those who are. Right? Set free by Jesus. Are you set free? Are you set free? I think there's levels to that. I think when Jesus invades your heart and redeems you, you are set free forever. But I also believe that aside from that vertical aspect with God, which is forever fixed and finished, there's a horizontal aspect to that where we have experiences every day of our life And I think what James is getting after is not the vertical reality. He says that right there in verse 1. We're holding fast to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the vertical aspect. But James is saying the horizontal aspect is very ordinary. You got to love people. As Christians, the most basic fact, the most basic part of our existence is that we love people. And if we don't love people, then we're not acting like God's kids. We're not being his ambassadors. We are people who have been set free. So as Paul would tell the Galatian people, just as you received Christ, continue to walk in Christ. Have you been set free? That's the, central, that's the central question for you today. The command is show no partiality. The command is love your neighbor as yourself and you'll know if you're doing well. But man, as I look around, I don't think we're doing well. I don't think we're doing well. I don't think we love people the way that Jesus loves us. And so it starts with you individually. Have you been set free? Have you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? The Bible says if we confess our confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead, that we will be saved. If you've never made that confession, I want to ask you, is the Lord inviting you to make that confession today? Is he working in your life? Is he redeeming you? Because that's what he does. He redeems us and then he sends us. He redeems us, he transforms us, and then he sends us. Don't jump to the sends us if we haven't done the redeems us, transforms us. He needs to do his work in your life before you can do his work in someone else's life. Am I making sense?
Have you been set free or are you still living in bondage? You know, I think somebody who is one of God's kids can also still live in bondage. That you can have all the rights as a son or daughter of God and walk away from those and not experience those. And so whether you've never confessed Christ and are not a Christian or whether you're a Christian who is just, I'm doing my thing, not his thing. And those things have never come into alignment. I want to encourage you with the same thing today. Are you set free? Are you set free? You see, the beauty of it is that Jesus says, if you confess your sins, that he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John. And then James tells us that in the assembly, in the presence of God's people, that if we will just confess those things, that we'll find healing from those things. And so I want to invite you in just a moment to stand with me, and the music's going to play, and I'm just going to lead you through the opportunity to respond to that. Not because we can do anything in you, but because God is doing something in you. We just simply respond to the things that he's doing in our life. We've seen his grace on the mountain. We've seen his grace in the valley below. And you know what's the same on the mountain and in the valley? God. God's grace. God's presence. So why don't you stand with me? And I just want to invite you to talk to the Lord. What is he speaking to you? What is he doing in your life? What is he doing in your heart? And our role in that is to respond. Our role in that is to speak and act like those who have been set free. So if you're not free today, I want you to do one of two things. I want you to confess Jesus as Lord. In the quietness of your heart, you can talk to him right now. He's already done the work. He has redeemed you, drawn you to himself. He just simply asks you to confess that. It's his work, not yours. There's nothing for you to do. We're just confessing what he's already done. So if I could have all of you just bow your head and close your eyes and take a deep breath. If that is you today, I just want to lead you very simply in that confession of what God's already done in your life. It's very simple. It's just in the quietness of your heart, you can say something like this to him. God, I confess that you are Lord and that I am not. You are God. I am not. And I believe that you died on that cross, rose from the dead that first Easter. And now you have moved into my life. You are the Lord of my life. I see that. I see that you have moved in. And I surrender to your will. Would you save me? And I believe he'll do that. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to help you take your next step following Jesus today. Because what happens next is as you become a disciple, we need to disciple each other. We would love to help you take that next step and get connected to learning everything that he has commanded you or to be baptized or whatever that next step might be. So I'll be hanging around in the front. Jerome will be around. You can go to Info Central and see Mallory. We'd love to help you take that next step. If you're a Christian today, you can do something similar. You can confess your sins to the Lord and receive His grace again today. The Spirit of His Son crying, Abba, Father. And as I pray, I just encourage you to pray and confess those things. And honestly, every single one of us in this room, we have something to pray and confess because we're all guilty of showing partiality, aren't we? 
We're all guilty of being selfish. And so I want to pray a collective prayer of repentance for us and just ask you to agree with it in your heart and that God would take Redeemer City Church and send us out to make a difference everywhere that we find ourselves for Him. So let me pray for you. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the gift of music, for the beauty and splendor of Jesus. We are guilty of sinning. We are guilty of breaking your law. And so it's all the more astonishing to us that you love us in spite of us. So I pray for the ones, Holy Spirit, that are in this room that prayed and just confessed the reality that you have done a work in their life, that they've confessed you as Lord. I pray that you'd give them the courage to go take their next step, to sign up for a city group, to get plugged in serving the body of Christ, to get baptized or to whatever the blank is for them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work in their heart and that they would follow you into those green pastures. I pray for those of us that are Christians, Lord, that, man, this text is convicting that we are not treating people the way you treat us. I pray that you would help us to do that. We confess that we fall short. We're sinners in that area. When we drive, when we go to work, when we go to the store, when we raise our kids, when we talk to our spouse, when we meet with our friends, we fall short. When we serve the homeless, when we do all the things that we're called to do, we fall short. Would you forgive us? We thank you that you have forgiven us, that that is a reality, that that is already done. We praise you, Father. And so now in these final moments, as we sing together, we think about your goodness. Holy Spirit, would you continue to speak to us? As we step out into our week, would you go with us? Help us to see people the way you see them, not the way we have been seeing them. Would you give us the courage to preach the gospel in every place that we find ourselves? And it's your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's sing this out.